So we're going to continue uh, with the Torah learning that we do immediately after we make the Berchat Torah, right? So last week we discussed the Berchat Torah at length. And this week, what we're going to do is, uh, is going to go through the, the special Torah learning that we do right then. So let me um, share the Safari source sheet um, in the chat box. Are, are people okay opening it up on their own screen? Because to be honest, it's really more ideal for me when I'm able to see people's faces and not see my, my source sheet. Well, I like it when you share the screen. I will share the screen too. That's so you can that. share with Alana and with us, we'll open it up. Exactly, you see. <laughs> <laughs> Very helpful. I'm always the troublemaker. <laughs> it happens to be with, with only four people, I could see everyone. So, oh, okay, Cheryl just messed it up. <laughs> Sorry, Cheryl. <laughs> I, I won't see myself. I'll only see everyone else. You can only see four people at a time when you're sharing the screen. That's the issue. Okay, so let's get started. Uh, let's open it up, edit. Okay. So here we go. So let's, so we're going to begin with source number one. Oh, just in terms of the page that we're on, guys, if you have your C-Door open, you should be on page 17. And just, just a quick glance at what we're going to be going through. So we see that there is a quote from the Chumash, right, from Numbers. We see that there is a quote from the Mishnah. And then we see that there is a quote from the Talmud, right? And we'll discuss why specifically we have to learn some Torah right after we do it and why specifically these three quote, quotes are the Torah that we learn. Okay, so before we do that, let's look at source number one. So source number one is the Talmud part that we read last week. And the Talmud was really having a question. We discussed this last week. I just want to re repeat it. Talmud was having a question. Before what type of Torah learning is one obligated to make a bracha, right? When does one have to make this bracha? Does one only make this bracha when they learn Torah from the five books? Or not just five books, but even from the, the prophets and writings. Is that the only time that one makes a blessing? Or does one make a blessing at other points as well? So the Talmud tells us a couple of different opinions. What's important for us to know, and this is also a general principle important to know, the way the Gemara works is that within the actual generations of the authors of the Gemara, the final person who makes the statement is the one who we follow in law. Okay, this is true both in the Mishnah and in the Gemara. It is not true from the Mishnah to the Gemara. Let me just explain a little better what I mean by that. The authors of the Mishnah, whoever is the final author of the Mishnah, he is able to take into account when he's making his final decision, all those who came before him. And he's able to decide what the final opinion should be. And that's the opinion that we then follow. And the authors of the Gemara, they do the same thing, that they are able to look at all the people who came before them, see what they have to say, and then make their final decision. That being said, that only holds true within each category. So the people who write the Gemara cannot go back and re-litigate something that the Mishnaic writers, right, the Tanoim had written. Okay, so it's really a little bit of a different point, but it's a parenthetical point that's important to recognize. So over here, we have a bunch of different opinions. We have one, two, three, we have four opinions stated in this Talmudic passage. Whose opinion is the one that we follow the halacha? The final opinion, as it is written in the Gemara, which is also the final opinion chronologically. This is the opinion of Rava, the Amora par excellence. And Rava said, even for Talmud. So when it comes to figuring out what sort of Torah learning would obligate us to make the blessing prior to that, the halacha is both when we learn 
Chumash, both when we learn Mishnah and when we learn Talmud. What is Talmud? When, when the Gemara says Talmud, what does it mean? The Gemara means the ability to figure out what the reasoning behind the Torah law is and what the source is, which will then enable us to figure out how to address a new circumstance that has arisen, right? What's the halacha when you have a new question that never came up in the Gemara? Well, the way you figure out the halacha is by understanding the process of getting to the halacha in the precedent case, okay? So what the Gemara says is any type of Torah learning, both Torah, the Mishnah, which is the oral law that is handed down to us, and the Gemara that analyzes the oral law, all three of those are learnings that are considered to be one is required to recite the blessing prior to that. Okay, so that's what we said last week. Now, we also mentioned last week that when we look at the Birchat HaTorah, the blessings on the Torah, we see two different concepts that are dealt with in, in the bracha. The first concept is your standard bracha in which we say, blessed are you Hashem, who has commanded us, sanctified us with his commandments, and commanded us to learn Torah. That, we said, is following the template of what is called a birchas ha-mitzvah. It is a blessing on doing a mitzvah. What that means is anytime you're about to engage in a mitzvah, you have to make a blessing. We said that birchas ha-Torah is unique because it's actually an obligation from the Torah itself and not just rabbinic obligation to make the blessing. But it follows the standard template of being a birchas ha-mitzvah, that before you do a mitzvah, immediately prior to that, you make the blessing, right? So before you shake your lulav and esrig, Right beforehand, you make the blessing. Before you blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, right beforehand, they make the blessing. They don't make the blessing in the morning right when they come at the show because the mitzvah is to make the blessing right before you do the actual act, okay? We then said that the second, the second bracha, right? This, this blessing, that's a very interesting blessing that talks about the fact that we were selected from all the nations and given this unique mission. That is not actually in the category of a bracha on doing a mitzvah. Rather, that is in the category of a bracha giving praise to Hashem for having given us this opportunity. Now, since it is a birchas ha-mitzvah, what did we just get finished saying? You make the birchas ha-mitzvah right before you do the mitzvah. If I'm going to make a bracha, a blessing, on the fact that I'm going to do a mitzvah today of learning Torah, and this mitzvah can be done anytime during the day, certainly, but I also should do some learning immediately after I make this blessing. So therefore, we look now at source number two. So I, I did not have time to translate this. So this is actually, uh, it's just in the Hebrew right now. Nobody translated it yet. This is Tosafot. So Tosafot are the supplementary commentary on the Talmud. It's written by students and children, or sons-in-law and grandchildren of Rashi. Okay, Rashi, is or Shlomo Yitzchaki, lived in France uh, about uh, almost a thousand years ago now. And over about a 150 year period of time, Rashi's descendants and students had a school of thought that is called the Tosafot, the supplementary commentary. And in the supplementary commentary, I'm just gonna, I'll read it. I'll translate it without reading the Hebrew. The French people, okay? So this means the school of thought of the French Tosafists, because they were also the German Tosafists. The French Tosafists, their custom was that immediately after they would make the blessing on the Torah, immediately afterwards, they would then say some verses from the Torah. The verses that they would say is the birchat kohanim, the blessing that the priests would say. And we'll deal with that exactly, the significance of that. 
They would also say, these are the matters for which there is no measure, which is a Mishnah, right? So that's the second thing for which the Gemara tells us we are obligated to make a blessing on before we study a Mishnah. And what's the third thing that they would say? The third thing that we say in Arasidur, these are the precepts whose fruits a person enjoys in this world, but eats the principle in the world to come. Why? Because that is a Talmudic passage. So that's where the custom developed that we say specifically these three things. The idea that we have to learn Torah immediately after we say the blessing on the Torah, that's going to be related to the fact that it is a birchas mitzvah. Why it is that on page 17, we find something from Numbers, something from Mishnah, something from Talmud, that's based on the custom, at least going back as far as the school of the French Tosafists, which is, like I said, eight, between 800 and 900 years ago. Could I just ask a question? Of course. What, uh, what is Hey Aleph and what is Aleph Tzadik? I mean, what are these acronyms? Sure. Is that Perek Aleph or what? Yeah, yes. So Pei Aleph is Perek Aleph. And that, Aleph is Daf, so what's Daf Aleph Hey? Where? And then it continues Daf Aleph Hey, I think. Oh, so this is um, De Peya. Perek Aleph De Peya. Perek ah, Aleph. Okay. The Masechta known as Peya, of the track. Okay, gotcha. And what's Aleph Tzadik? Aleph Tzadik is Eino Tzarech. Ah, I know. Oh, good. Thanks. Okay. It makes a difference. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so Tosos brings down the opinion of the French scholars. And he, the author of this, Tosos himself, actually makes the statement that you don't even need to learn Torah right away based on something that he said earlier. Our custom is that we certainly do strive to say these Torah portions right when we finish learning, right when we finish making the blessing, okay? So now what I wanna do is today's class, what I wanna spend the next uh, 35 minutes, I wanna go through in depth what these three teachings are and why they are so significant, right? They're obviously all, not obviously, but they are all certainly related to the Torah as well. In other words, all of these three ideas are related to the Torah and I wanna show you how they're related to the Torah. Once again, this is based on Rav Schwab's uh, commentary. As always, it is our starting point and well, very often the end point as well. Okay, so the first source that we say every morning, right when we make the blessing is we say the Birchas Kohanim. And what is the Birchas Kohanim? The Birchas Kohanim is, comes from the Torah itself. Right? And this comes from the fact, I mentioned last week, there's only two blessings that we are obligated to do on a Torah level. And that is true in terms of on our daily lives, the two blessings are the blessing on the Torah and the blessing after eating bread and we, we eat a full meal of bread. However, the Torah does give us another blessing, not us, but Kohanim. And what is that blessing? So Hashem is speaking to Moshe and Hashem tells Moshe, speak to Aaron and his sons, the priests. Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord deal kindly and graciously with you. The Lord bestow his favor upon you and grant you peace. And thus they shall link my name with the people of Israel and I will bless them. So now, out of Israel, unless you are of Sephardic heritage and daven in a Sephardic synagogue, these blessings are only recited on Yom Tov, right? On a holiday or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The rest of the year, they are not recited. In Israel, and not even in the entire Israel, but primarily in Jerusalem and some other cities, 
They are set every single day of the year. That was the original custom they were set every day of the year. The custom then developed that we stopped seeing them every day of the year, unless, like I said, you are Sephardi or in certain places in Israel. Now, where does this originally get said? Where did the priests originally, would, would they say this blessing? Originally, they would say this blessing in the Beit HaMikdash, right? In the actual temple. Every day, they would say this blessing. Okay? They would say this blessing to the Jewish people. Now, we do still have the custom, many people have the custom, that they bless their children on Friday night, right? And when they bless their children, this is actually what we say, right? So this is part of what we say as we say this priestly blessing to our children as well, okay? Now, when the priests would say this in the temple, interestingly enough, right, we've mentioned in the past, and I forgot to put the picture on today, but we've mentioned in the past how Schwab has really keeps on developing the idea that prayer is supposed to be a replacement for the temple service. So everything that we do in the prayer service is supposed to be mirroring an actual experience of physically entering into the temple and coming closer and ever closer, progressively closer to the Holy of Holies. What happens in the Holy of Holies? That is the place where God's presence is most manifested in this world. Typically, only the Kohen Gadol can go in there. And according to most, only one day a year. Rev Schwab emphasizes again and again what the authors of the prayers that we say today, when they set up the prayer service, they wanted us to recognize that this is a replacement for the temple, but it is a worthy replacement for the temple. And that we too can actually go through a process of entering into the temple, going progressively deeper from one place to the other, and actually reaching into the Holy of Holies when we stand in front of Hashem during the Shemona Esrei, during the Amidah, we are actually standing in front of God himself, communing with God. At that point, we are in the equivalent of the Holy of Holies, the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, the high priest on Yom Kippur. So he points out like this, Roshwab says, based on his previous calculations, right now we are entering from what is called the Ezrat Yisrael, the the courtyard of the Israelites into what is called the the uh, the next the the hallway of the um, of the Beis Hamikdash of the temple, and what we do we walk into the place where the Kohanim are able to stand the priests are able to stand. There's actually three steps where the Kohanim stand every day, and when they stand on that, that is actually where they give us the priestly blessing. Rav Schwab says that after we make the blessing on the Torah. As he said earlier, we are now entering into the, priestly, into the priestly section. And as we make that blessing, it is totally appropriate that we should be quoting the part that the priests actually used to say while standing on those three steps. And that is what the sages are trying to get us to think of, that to help put us in that mindset of that's what we are doing as we progress deeper in. Okay? Now... When we look at a deeper understanding of the priestly blessing, aside from that mirroring in our minds of the fact that this is similar to what happened in the progression into the Beis HaMikdash, we are also, there's much more about the priestly blessing that is related to Torah. Okay, so what I want to show you right now is, and once again, I, I apologize, I did not have time to translate this. I'm just going to read it and translate it. So what we have over here is the Midrash. Okay, and the Midrash comes to explain what exactly is the priestly blessing teaching us, right? So we read the words, right? The words were, the Lord bless you and protect you, right? Yivarechecha Hashem v'yishmarecha. Yo'er Hashem panavelecha v'yichunecha. 
Okay, so Yair Hashem Panavelecha means Hashem should basically uh, turn his face towards you, which is a way of saying deal with you kindly, as the translation says. The Yichuneka is an interesting phrase. And it comes from the root is chain. Now, chain is a little bit of a hard word to translate in, in English. Uh, we, we use it, we, we translate it as like grace, right? That's normally what we do. We talk about Yosef in the Torah, about Joseph, that he was a person of, with a great amount of chain. He found favor in people's eyes, right? In Yiddish, we, there's a phrase that we use, which is called abachenta. means an individual who just carries a certain level of, it's like charisma, but not just charisma. It's charisma and a sweetness. It's just like the kind of person who, when they walk into the room, everybody just smiles when they see them, okay? So what we're essentially saying is that God should grant us a measure of chain a measure of this level of grace. And um, <laughs> once again, just hard to really express it properly in English sometimes. Uh, and then we finish. Be, it could be charm. Charm. Charm's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we took an Israeli to, to express it perfectly in English. Thank you. So um, then we, we read, the Lord bestow his favor upon you and grant you peace. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful blessing, certainly. Let's look at the Midrash and we'll have a deeper understanding. So the Midrash tells us like this. Hashem. Hashem should bless you with wealth. Hashem should protect you from thieves. Another matter, Hashem should bless you with money and Hashem should protect you that you should not find yourself in a situation in which you're out in the, you're out in the wilderness and people will say to you, give me your money. Okay, so he should give you money, but not just give you money and then have it, you know, dissipate away almost immediately, right? But rather give you money and allow you to save the money. So what is the idea that we're trying to express in this first part of the, there's three different parts to the priestly blessing, right? There's the Lord bless you, protect you, right? So the Lord bless you and protect you is a very simple blessing, according to the Midrash. It is a blessing for materialistic uh, benefits and a blessing that you retain your materialistic blessing. The second blessing is certainly something else. As we said before, it's referring to this charm, right? It's referring to Hashem should be kind to us. What exactly are we referring to? So let's continue in the Midrash. The Midrash explains like this. When it says, Ya'er Hashem, that Hashem should turn his face to you, what it means is that Hashem should give you part of the light of his presence, right? So what the Midrash is pointing out is Ya'er has a similar meaning to mi'ar, right? To the word ar, ar is light, okay? So ya'er Hashem means Hashem should give you some of his light. As it is written in Yeshayo, that the light should, my light should be, I should stand up my light. Also, it says that with my light, the light will be here, okay? So what the Midrash is saying is that Hashem should actually grant us his own light. When we say the Ya'er Hashem, it's not just that Hashem should turn to us kindly. The Midrash is saying, it's also trying to teach us that Hashem should grant us some of his own light. Now, what does that mean? How does Hashem grant us some of his own light? So the idea that Rav Schwab wants to say, and I think, it, I think this is what the Midrash is saying, is that when we talk about Hashem granting us his light, what we are referring to is the light of the Torah. We find time and time again, the sages always understand that the light in this world is the light that comes from the Torah itself. It's the light that brings light to a dark world, to a world that lacks clarity, a world that is a confusing 
and confused world, the Torah brings that light to the world. So what we are really saying in this middle part of the three-part priestly blessing is that Hashem should bring light to us. Now, what light is that? That's the light of the Torah. Through learning the Torah, we can actually achieve a level of understanding of this world. But what we're saying is something even more than that, that he should grant us, put onto you some of his, some of his chain, some of his uh, charm, so to speak, right? So what we are really saying is, I think, an incredible idea. What we're really saying is that Hashem can actually, through our attachment to the Torah, we can actually develop a sense of a deep, deep abiding connection with Hashem. And that connection with Hashem actually then becomes the light of Hashem, right? So can you imagine, I always want to repeat that idea a little bit because to me it was mind-blowing. What we're saying is that not only does the Torah, the way that Hashem speaks to us, and the only real way that we can develop any sort of knowledge, any sort of understanding of a completely abstract creator of the universe, right? We have no real relationship. How does God speak to us, right? When we learn the Torah, we actually are able to develop an understanding and a connection with God. We are able to achieve somewhat of, and, and it's almost crazy to say these words, somewhat of a mind meld with God, right? We are literally able to do that because that's what God did for us. He did this incredible gift for us, right? So the reason why we are chosen specifically this verse, we could have said any verse from the Torah, right? We're trying to say a verse from the Torah right after we learn. Why? right after we make the blessing. Because when you make a blessing and doing a mitzvah, you have to do the mitzvah. We said that one of the three things for which you're obligated to make the blessing is when you learn Torah. Why did we pick this verse from the Torah? Because this verse from the Torah expresses beautifully the nature of the relationship of how God expresses and conveys something of himself through the Torah to us. And that truthfully, that's the only way for us to really achieve some level of understanding of, of Hashem. What's the third part of the priestly blessing? We say, the Lord should give us peace. What does it mean that the Lord is going to give us peace? What it means is that the peace is the sense of, uh, of satisfaction and the sense of peace that all is well in the world because of the fact that we have within us the Torah. Um, okay, I don't see who's asking. Oh, Cheryl, what are you asking exactly? Oh, you said that Sephardic still do this custom oh, and oh. Ashkenazim discontinued it. So I'm talking specifically about that. The Sephardim still actually say the Birchas Kohanim every day, even outside of Israel, whereas the Ashkenazim don't. Yeah, um, and I wondered why the Ashkenazim discontinued it. That's a great question. Uh, I'm going to look that up for you, Lineder. Uh, if I don't forget, I will look that up for you. I don't know the answer, though. Um, okay. So let's, okay, good. So those were the verses from the Torah that satisfied the custom to say something from the Torah. Now let's go on to the Mishnah, right? So just a, a little bit of an introduction to what Mishnah is, right? Let's continue on. Uh, so Mishnah is what literally means something which is said over, something which is repeated. Mishnah is the Torah that was given over from generation to generation, and it was the straight Law. It was, this is the precedent, this is the precedent, this is the precedent. Occasionally, there would be disputes. And that's why it comes from the word, as I said, to say over, to repeat, because that's what it is. It's a repetition of laws that had been said over. So let's look at the Mishnah that they choose to illustrate this idea. Now, the Mishnah, 
And we're going to look at the, not, not the Mishnah in our source, but rather the Mishnah as is brought down in the, in the Siddur on page 17. And the Mishnah is like this. These are the precepts that have no prescribed measure. The corner of a field, which must be left for the poor, the first fruit offering, the pilgrimage, acts of kindness, and Torah study. What are we referring to here? So the corners of a field, it's like this. The corners of a field, the law is that you're not allowed to cut it yourself. If I own a field, I have to leave the corner of the field to the poor people. Now, when we are saying that these are the precepts that have no prescribed measure, what we are trying to explain is that these are elements of which there is no specific measure that I have to give X amount or I can't give less than, I can't give more than, no such measure. Even a, even a tiny minimum would really satisfy it on a Torah level. And even a huge maximum would also satisfy it on a Torah level. Rev Schwab points out, and this is a beautiful idea I wanted to share with you guys. Rev Schwab points out that the mitzvah of leaving the corner of the field, that I'm a wealthy individual, I'm living in, in the land of Israel, which is where this mitzvah applies. And I have... I have a beautiful, huge field full of very ripe wheat, and I'm starting to do my harvest. I have to leave the corners of the field. I don't harvest it at all. It's not that I harvest it and then give it to the poor. I don't even harvest it. I leave it standing. Now, why don't I harvest it and give it to the poor people? So I have a, a mission here, but it's going to be a little bit more uh, in-depth, and we're, we're getting a little bit later than I thought it was going to be. So Rav Schwab explains like this. The reason why I don't harvest it myself and the poor people themselves come in and harvest it, the Torah is trying to teach us a very deep idea. It is not that I own my whole field and I just take a portion of what I have received from Hashem and give it to the poor people as a way of passing it on, right? That's not what's happening here. What God is telling us is the poor people actually own the corners of my fields, right? It's a very different perspective. It's a way of saying, don't think of you being such a gracious person by leaving something standing for them. That belongs to them. It doesn't belong to you in the first place. Okay? So that's the idea of leaving over the corners in the field. The next thing that we have is the first fruit offering. What's the first fruit offering? So the first fruit offering is that our first fruits that we have each season, right? We have to bring it. We, we cut down. We, we mark off whichever one ripened first as the one that was uh, going to be ripening first, we mark it off with a ribbon and then we cut it and we bring it up to Jerusalem at certain time periods during the year. And we go over to the priest and we bring it to the priest, right? Now there's no specific measure. It doesn't say how many fruits you have to bring. It just says bring the first fruits. So pr presumably, once again, people who were generous would bring a large portion. People who are not so generous would bring a small portion. Now, what is it that we would say to the priest when we brought him this basket full of food? You shall go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, I acknowledge this day before the Lord your God that I have entered the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to assign us. So right when you bring it in, you say, I entered the land of Israel. You don't say that I entered previously when I came in here. You say when you come with your fruits, bringing it to the Beit HaMikdash, that's when you say to the priest, I have now entered into the land of Israel. What's the idea? The idea is that the land of Israel is not just a place. It's also a mindset, right? It's the mindset of having the proper perspective of what we're here to do in this world. So as you come in front of the priest and say, listen, I just did a beautiful, huge harvest, and it's all because I worked really hard. Hashem says, slow down. Recognize where this came from. Go over to the priest and make the confession that this is all Hashem's bounty that he gave you. 
So when you do that, then you can really say, I now entered into the land of Israel. In addition, it's particularly appropriate to say it at this time because you're going to the base Hamikdash, you're going to the temple. Now, the land of Israel is the place in which Hashem's presence is most openly felt. Well, what's the super place where Hashem's presence is most openly felt? It is at the temple. So when you come to the temple, you then say, I have entered into the land of Israel. You're acknowledging your recognition of the manifestation of Hashem that is found in the temple. That's what Bikurim is all about. Then we read about the pilgrimage. The pilgrimage is the obligation to go up to Jerusalem and to be seen and to go to the temple and bring an offering three times a year on Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Okay? Now, there's an obligation to go up. It doesn't say how long you have to stay for. So you could stay for one second, satisfied. But can you stay for the whole Yom Tif? Absolutely. So this is another concept of something for which there's no specific limit. The fourth thing that we talk about is acts of kindness. When we say acts of kindness, to be clear, we are not referring to acts of kindness that are done with your money. Because when we talk about acts of kindness that's done with your money, then the obligation is actually limited. Something interesting to know. When it comes to doing kindness with your money, you are limited to one-fifth of your income. You're not allowed to give more than one-fifth of your income. You're supposed to give one-tenth, but not more than one-fifth. However, when it comes to gemilat chasadim, when it comes to acts of loving kindness with your body, when you're doing chasad, helping out other people, there is no limit at all. I want to share with you guys a story that I just read in this book that I mentioned last week about Rabbi Gissinger, who was this great rabbi and who, who did, spent his days involved in so many different levels of chesed, of, of loving kindness. I actually spoke to my uncle this week, who was his brother-in-law, and I said, you know, I, I didn't know him that well. I, I hung out with him a little bit, didn't know him that well. I read that book, Is It All True? And he said, it was crazy. My uncle's a little bit of a cynical person. He said, you know, I, I can't think of anything bad to say about my brother-in-law. You know, my brother-in-law for 45 years, I can't think of anything bad to say about him, and it's all true. Whenever I was by him, I could be sitting on the couch at 1.30 in the morning reading a book and drinking a seltzer and someone would come knocking on the door to ask him a question and I would go upstairs to his room and he would come right downstairs immediately to answer the question. So, but it says in the book something fascinating. He's someone who dedicated his life to helping other people with specifically in general medical issues that he was involved in and specifically with fertility questions. So someone wrote, someone told the author of this book that one time he had some sort of issue in his life and he finished with the issue and Rabbi Gissinger was helping him out tremendously. And he finished with the issue and he tells Rabbi Gissinger, I give you a blessing that you should have more time for yourself and people will stop coming to you as much. So Rabbi Gissinger looked at him like he's, he fell off the moon and says, you think I'm here in this world for myself? I'm here in this world to help other people. That's why we're put into this world. There's no limit. Tell me I, it would be a good thing for me to have more time for myself. This is the greatest way that I can use my, my activities and the greatest way that I can physically accomplish in this world is through helping other people. So when it comes to saying, is there a limit on the kindness that you can do for others? There's no such thing as a limit on kindness that you can do for others. The final thing is Torah study. Torah study also, there's no limit and there's no minimum of how much Torah you have to learn and there's no maximum of how much Torah you have to learn. What's interesting is when we say Torah study, if you look at the Hebrew, it says Talmud Torah which does not mean, if you wanted to say learning Torah, you would say Limud Torah. It doesn't say Limud Torah. It says Talmud Torah, teaching Torah. Because the ideal way to learn Torah is to learn Torah student from a teacher. The teacher should be teaching the student. 
So therefore, when it talks about learning Torah, we always refer to this as the paradigm of someone teaching Torah to someone else. Uh, what is the Hara'ayon? Hara'ayon I mean, yeah. Hara is, um, is, Rayon means to be seen. So it, it, it comes from the idea of Ole Regal, that when you go up to, to, the, to, to Yerushalayim, to Jerusalem, during the three uh, holidays, the Torah tells us you have to go up there and be seen by Hashem, so to speak. Right? It means that you should find yourself at, in the Beis HaMikdash, in the temple, at some point on these holidays, and you should bring an offering to Hashem. Rayon means to be seen by Hashem. Okay, now we're going to go on to the third passage, which is from the Gemara itself. Okay. Now, the third passage is really interesting. It goes like this. These are the precepts whose fruits a person enjoys in this world, but whose principle remains intact for him in the world to come. Now, let's explain what this means. Well, to, to start, right? If you talk about receiving fruits from a principle, typically we think of fruits from a principle. The fruit is very much related to what the principle is, right? If I invest money, right? My principle will remain untouched even if I'm getting dividends, right? But what are the dividends consisting of? They are consisting of money. The same way the principle is money. So if you talk about fruits, they are very much related to the principle. If you talk about principle being received in the world to come, what type of principle do we receive in the world to come? Is it a material benefit? Clearly not. It is a spiritual benefit. So when we talk about receiving benefits, for mitzvot that we do in this world, that we receive fruits in this world, to be clear, we are referring to spiritual benefits in this world too. What would be a general idea, general concept of spiritual benefit that we're receiving that is similar to the, the mitzvah, similar to the reward that we will receive in the world to come? Well, the reward that we receive in the world to come is a reward of being able to connect with God, right? Our souls will connect with God. The spiritual reward that we will receive in this world on a generic level for the mitzvot that we do, the spiritual reward is a sense of satisfaction, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of happiness with who we are, a sense of feeling that we have accomplished in this world. That is a mirror of an idea of actually connecting to Hashem in a very palpable way that will happen in the world to come. What's the first mitzvah that we talk about? Kibbut av aim. Honor, that we have to honor our father and mother. Now, to honor our parents, really, is almost impossible, right? And I say this, um, my, my seven-year-old daughter is on the couch in the other room because she's still out of school until Monday. I hope she's listening. Um, so to honor our parents properly is really impossible, right? It's, it's, it's almost impossible to, to properly recognize everything that they've done for us. They brought us into the world. They take care of us from the time that we're babies, they take care of everything that we needed, right? So it's almost impossible to truly appreciate and honor them the way that's necessary. The Gemara tells us a story. There was one on Moro who says, I did it properly. And the Gemara says, what did he do? The Gemara says that his mother was a very fine lady and she didn't want to step down onto the floor when she left her house. So he would say, step onto my back and then from my back into the carriage. And the Gemara says, nah, you still didn't do enough. That's not enough. You owe, you owe your parents even more than that, right? So it's almost impossible to fully uh, fulfill this mitzvah of, um, of doing it properly. That being said, obviously, we still strive to do so. And the Torah itself tells us about this mitzvah, right? That Hashem gives you the mitzvah of kibbut aim of honoring your father and mother, so that if you do it properly, Hashem will lengthen our days in this world, and that it will be good for you if you do it properly. 
And so the Torah itself explicitly promises us reward for doing the mitzvah of Kibbut Abba'im. The next mitzvah is Gmilat Chasadim, right? Acts of loving kindness, right? So we already discussed the, the incredible power of acts of loving kindness. But Rav Schwab points out a, a really interesting idea. He says like this. What is the source for the mitzvah of loving kindness? The source is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a positive Torah commandment, right? It is not a something that is found in the New Testament. I mean, it is in the New Testament as well, but really it's obviously from Leviticus, right? It's in the Torah itself. Now, what's interesting is that when you do this mitzvah properly, it actually will lead to the fulfillment of a different positive commandment. What positive commandment is that? The mitzvah of loving Hashem, your God. Why? Why does one lead to the other? So we find in Proverbs that if it, the language that we use is if someone does kindness, he brings good to himself, right? It's some sort of a karma, right? So through loving others, we actually develop a love for God. King David calls himself a chassid, one who is righteous. And the Talmud explains, and we're going to skip it, but it's source number seven. The Talmud explains, why does he call himself a righteous person? Because he developed love between husband and wife. When a husband and wife would come to him in certain problems in their life, he would ensure that they actually had peace in their home. And he said, because I ensure that there was peace between husband and wife, that's why I'm a righteous person. I am a chassid, right? Now, a chassid is more in terms of the nature of the relationship between us and God. So what does this mean? This means that when you love other people and cause love to be in the world between other people, you actually will develop a closer relationship with God. Another proof to this idea. In Isaiah, we talk about Abraham and the Torah tells us about Abraham that Abraham Ohavi, Abraham who I love. What, is, what does Abraham Avinu, what does Abraham, our father, what does he stand for? He stands for the, as the exemplar of doing the mitzvah of gemilat chasadim, of doing the mitzvah of loving kindness. And that is why he's called the one who Hashem loves. So when we engage in this mitzvah of loving kindness, we get the spiritual benefit of developing a greater relationship with God himself. What's the next mitzvah? Next mitzvah is early attendance at the house of study, morning and evening, right? So what it's saying is, it's not saying just when you learn Torah in the morning and evening, it's saying when you actually show up in public to learn Torah in the morning and evening. Why? Because when you engage in an activity that is a positive activity in public, there's a sense of peer pressure. There's a sense of come join me on this train of doing good, right? And you are what is called in Hebrew, you are mizarez, right? You are uh, empowering others, or even more than empowering, uh, um, hasten, 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 I guess, okay, hastening others to do the same deed, right? So when you do this in public, when you learn Torah in public, other people join in as well. The next mitzvah is like this. The next mitzvah is hospitality to guests, right? Hospitality to guests. The Torah tells us that Abraham Avinu is speaking to God after his brit milah, after he has his circumcision, God comes to visit him. Right, And while God is visiting him, Abraham says, hold that thought, God. I see some Arabs over there. They look like they need some water. You stay right here. I'll be back. Let me go, let me go take care of my guests. Right? And the Talmud says, we see from here that serving guests is greater than actually accepting or 
receiving God's presence. It's fascinating, like how far we're going with this idea based on the story with Abraham. Now, if that is true in this world, in the next world, when the entire existence is going to be to bask in the glory of Hashem, somebody who does this mitzvah of helping people in their time of need and welcoming them into your house as a guest, the reward is, is immeasurable what's going to happen for them. The next mitzvah is visiting the sick. Now, visiting the sick is also considered to be a mitzvah that God himself does, as we find in places in the Torah. And visiting the sick is, is an interesting idea. What's the reward? What's the spiritual reward that you receive for visiting the sick? So Schwab says over a, a, a funny story that someone told him when he himself was in the hospital, okay, and he was sick. So someone told him, you know what the reward is that you receive for visiting the sick? The reward is that when you go into sick people, you say to yourself, I'm not sick. And you think to yourself, thank God I have my health. And that's the reward that you receive, which helps put you in the you know, right perspective and right mind place. So uh, Rav Schwab says that this fellow told him, says, I have a great idea for anybody who's feeling down about their life. They should walk into the hospital and they should go over and say, I'm here to visit and then say their own name. Hospital will look, nope, guy's not in the hospital. And you'll say, well, I'm not in the hospital. How could I not feel great about my life, right? It'll make you feel better about who you are. So that's really what we're doing. Not, that's not what we're doing. We're doing this to help the people who are sick. But that is the reward that we receive, the sense of I have my health with me. The next mitzvah is actually providing for a bride. Now, providing for a bride is, is a tremendous mitzvah. It, it, in other words, to help a, a, a groom and bride make it to their wedding ceremony. So this involves anywhere from suggesting a shiduch, right? Suggesting a, a match to actually being involved in helping the bride purchase her trousseau is considered to be a tremendous mitzvah to enable them to have happiness in their lives. The next mitzvah is actually escorting the dead. Escorting the dead is a very, very big mitzvah as well. The reason why we do this is to show honor to the dead. It is also to help comfort the people who are left behind. It is also to help us remember that there is an end. We all are going to leave this world at some point. And through remembering that at all times, it helps us engage in the proper behavior. The, there's a question here. It says, first visit the sick. You would think that after visiting the sick, right after it should be escorting the dead. But instead, it's broken up by providing for a bride. Right? It would seem that this should be more linear. So the stipler, who was a great Torah scholar in Israel who died in 1987. So he explains like this. He says, we know the Gemara tells us that if you are sick and you do the mitzvah of hachnasas kala, you will avert death. If you do the mitzvah of helping a bride, you will actually avert death. So that's why it comes to separate it, to tell you that you're sick, great. You do hachnasas kala, that can actually avert the, the prognosis, or change the prognosis. What's the next one? Absorption in prayer. Right? Absorption in prayer, we learned at the beginning of when we studied, started our studies, that absorption in prayer refers to the fact that what we're doing right now, the fact that we're studying the prayer to try to develop a deeper understanding of what prayer is, that itself, we will taste the spiritual reward, spiritual benefits in this world. Because the idea of prayer is to connect to God. And the more we study, as we are doing right now, the more we are developing a deeper connection and a deeper understanding of the words, the easier it is for us to actually Instead of being some meaningless mumbo jumbo 
that we're just reading to get out of the way in the morning. It's a very meaningful moment. Uh, someone emailed me last week after the class that after we finished learning about Birchas HaTorah, this individual read the, read the, uh, the, the Birchas HaTorah later on that day and, and literally had tears in, 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 uh, in his eyes at the, at the thought of now that they understand what the blessing really is, that what the power that is vested in us when we make blessings, right? And the power of tefillah, right? So that's a completely different level of understanding and, and connection with Hashem. That's the spiritual word of understanding Torah, of understanding tefillah. Bringing peace between man and his fellow, certainly a huge mitzvah as well. And then what we finish with is the study of Torah is equivalent to all that we just said. The study of Torah is the equivalent. So all three of these passages, both the priestly blessing that comes from the, the Torah itself, the Mishnah, and the, the third thing, which comes from the Gemara, all three of them are focused on something related to the reward or the connection of Torah itself. So after we make that blessing on learning the Torah, we immediately learn some Torah. We learn some Torah from all three different parts of Torah. And the way we learn the Torah, all three of these parts are going to talk about the spiritual benefits of learning Torah and the fact that this is coming from a relationship that God has granted us to learn, to be able to learn the Torah properly. So like that, we are done now with the blessings of the Torah, and we are done also with the Torah study that we immediately do after learning the Torah. That is page 17 in its entirety. Uh, I hope everyone um, will do so. And, and will, uh, maybe not everyone will have the same reaction while they will have tears in their eyes, but everyone should have a deeper understanding and an enhanced understanding of what the blessing is.